we've been on the a series here, complete, that a lot of times we spend a lot of our time praying, asking God to do things for us, asking God to add things to us, asking God to, to um, complete us somehow, and really, the task is in our hands. Amen. The first thing we looked at was the joy of the Lord, that many times people are doing things, and so they come to God in prayer and they say, Father God, fill me with joy, which is a wrong prayer, and not fill with faith at all, because it's not based on the Word of God. And when you make prayers like that, what you basically do is you, uh, God just sits up there and says, oh, not again. <laughs> Mike, can't you just read the word of God? <laughs> Tells us some things for us to do, that our joy might be full. And we saw that each of these things that we're going to be looking at here, we've looked at two so far, each of these things that we are to add and bring into our life has a function, <laughs> has something it's supposed to do. The joy of the Lord are not to pray to God and say, God, Give me strength. That's a wrong prayer. But how many Christians pray it? Oh, God, give me strength for this. God's, what's God doing? Read my word. What's the word say? So what's to do? You meditate on his promises. You fill yourself up with the worship of God. You, there's things you can do to get yourself full of joy. And joy is not happiness. Joy is not happiness. You can be filled with joy and be in a very unhappy situation. Because joy is not dependent on happiness. But when you fill up yourself with joy, you have strength. If you lack strength, you lack joy. joy. And that's what you need to do. So then after we finished that, we, we looked at the Word of God as far as peace is concerned. Because peace has two functions in your life. The first function, the Word of God tells us that the peace of God is there to umpire our life. Let the peace of God, read it this way, let the peace of God rule you. But that word means umpire. And so when the peace of God is there, the peace of God is to decide between yes or no. The peace of God will basically help you decide, should I do this or should I not? How many saw that theme weaved throughout the worship today? Should I do this or should I not? That's what the peace of God will help you do. It'll help you decide. Because when an umpire or a referee comes in or, or somebody in the sports world, we put umpire on them. An umpire, just, we'll just take a look at baseball. An umpire is to rule on whether someone is safe or That's it. There's no gray areas in between. You are either safe or you are out. The ball is either foul or it is, that's it. There's no, well, I'm not sure. Let's have a do-over. We don't do that in baseball. In baseball, the ball is either fair or it's foul. The ball is either caught or dropped. I mean, that's it. It's, it's one or the other. And this peace of God comes in to help rule your life, umpire your life. So I put this question, if you're up there on Facebook this morning, I put this question to you this way. How far can you get in your life knowing yes or no? How far can you get? Now, how many are familiar with computers? How many are, are familiar enough with the computer that you can actually get into the networks, get into the workings of it, and understand how a computer thinks? Anybody here at all meet those qualifications? You understand how? There we go. We got one. All right. I, I studied these things out a while ago. I was actually able to write. This is, this is how old it was for me. I, I uh, wrote programs in Fortran. How many know what that word means? All right. 
Now we got uh, C and C plus and all these other kind of things out there. But a computer is basically broken down to. And think of all the things you can do with a computer. Some of you like to play games. I don't. I do not play games on my computer. I take all games off of the computer. I don't want them in there because there's a problem. I might like them. And I don't want to like them. So I take them off. I don't, want to, I don't want to have them on there. So all the games are gone. But just think of the games and the visuals that are there. How about a picture? You put a picture up on your computer and you can see all the details of the picture. You can communicate on Facebook. You can, you can, uh, y'all know you can text on your computer, right? You do not need your phone to text. You can text on your computer. There's a whole bunch of things you can do on the computer. But a computer is basically a bunch of yes or no. And it's amazing what you can do with a computer with two basic functions. Yes or no. Now, when I was in the computers, and I don't know if it's changed any since then, but when I was in the computers, yes or no was broken down to zero and one. If it equaled one, you do this. If it equals zero, you do this. And the whole thing is just based on that. And you can get pretty far with computers just based on yes or no. That's it. That's one of the functions of the peace of God is to help you umpire or decide between yes or no. Is this good? Is this bad? Should I do this? Should I not? That's a great thing right there, but it's also a stabilizing force. The Word of God says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. It stands as a guard. It stabilizes you. It keeps you on firm footing. When, the, when we looked at this last week, when the peace of God is lost, things can come in and unsettle you. And get you to move in a direction you're not supposed to move. Amen. But you get that peace of God in you, and the world can fall apart around you. And you're, oh, God hasn't told me to go anywhere yet, so I'm staying right here. <laughs> and just laugh and smile and have some fun. John, uh, in John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Later on in the same chapter, he says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And these are some of the things we need to make sure that we do and that we need to go after. Now, last week we looked at those oh my moments. How many of you had an oh my moment this week when you're sitting there? Oh my. <laughs> This is not good. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> Facebook is great for oh my moments. How many have seen those pictures there? The guys are surfing and there's a shark in the water. Seen that wave? There's waves that's a shark in the water and there's the guy surfing and has no idea that the shark is there. That's an oh my moment afterwards. When you get back and you see the foot, what, that was me? <laughs> oh my. When you have one of those oh my moments, the peace of God is in the crosshairs. He's trying to pull that out. We've got to learn to maintain our peace. We've got to make sure that we in, get a peace that endures. Some of our peace folks, it's not very enduring. You've got to build up your endurance. You've got to get your endurance going. Because we don't, we don't sustain that very well. And, and we're, we're not getting that endurance factor. You've got to learn how to endure. We go to God and say, oh God, it's so hard. Why is it so hard? You said you wouldn't give me no more than I could handle. I've said it to you before. Nowhere in the Word of God is it promised that God will not give you more than you can handle. Nowhere is it promised. 
nowhere. Stop saying it. Because first off, half of the things that are going on in your life, God has no part in. It's your fault. Come on, just say amen. Just say amen. You know it's true. Half of the stuff, half of the problems we got ourselves into, they're not God's fault. It's ours. We went the wrong direction. We did a stupid thing. God didn't do it. So how can God promise not to give you more than you can handle when you can put yourself in all the kinds of situations that you shouldn't be putting yourself into? That's not a promise from God. But no matter what situation I'm in, God will be there with me. God will even go with me in some bad situations. And he says, I don't want to be here, but because you're here, I'm here. Remember Jehoshaphat in the, in the battle? The prophet comes out here and says, I have no regard for any of you folks except for Jehoshaphat. In fact, if he wasn't here, I wouldn't even be talking to you. Jehoshaphat dragged God into a battle that God didn't want to be involved with. Hmm. All right. Well, we called this one the ephod of God. How many know what an ephod is? Don't worry, you're in good company. <laughs> if you go on the internet and you look up the word ephod and you get a picture of it, you'll see all kinds of pictures. Now, sometimes the ephod seems to be an undergarment. Sometimes it seems to be a garment that's over top of the priest. Sometimes it is used of an idol. Go over to Judges, you'll find that the ephod is used of an, of an, as an idol. Uh, the ephod is used for all kinds of things, but here's something we do know, that somehow the ephod was used by people in the Old Testament, to determine the will of God. And when they brought the ephod in, they would also use the Urim and the Thummim. How many know what they are? Yeah, very few people do. We don't even have one anymore. We don't even know what they are. Now, I listened to a whole bunch of teaching on this from Jewish rabbis. I mean, if anybody's going to know what they are, shouldn't it be a Jewish rabbi? So I sat there and I listened to some of the Jewish rabbis teach on the human the, the Urim and the Thummim. And so, you know, what is this? How, how is it? And so the, the most useful one that I heard was one guy who, who, said, who basically said, we have no idea how they use these. <laughs> no idea. We think that what they did was that they had a bag and they had them in there and they would pull them out and how they would pull them out would tell them whether it was a yes or a no answer. But he said the, the one, one in particular, when I think it was the, the uh, Urim, I think that was the one, one of them was clear, and it would become illuminated if God was speaking to you. This is what he said. He said, we're not sure about that, but we think that's what would come out. Otherwise, you just got an answer. You didn't necessarily get an answer from God. However it was, this was used in the Old Testament. I'm going to read for you a couple of uh, sections here. First Samuel 23, verse 9. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kelah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kelah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord God said, he will come down. Now let me paraphrase this for you a little bit better. This is what happened. David asked the question, will Saul come down? And what does God say? Yes. yes. That's what he said. Yes. Because the, these particular things, when they used the F5 in this way, it would only determine yes or no. So you had to ask the right question. You had to come up with a question to ask. If you asked the question, these things would be used by the priest to determine an answer. 
Then David said, Will the men of Calah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, Yes. All right, now we know what we should do. Not stay here. <laughs> you don't need to ask a whole lot of questions after that. <laughs> don't stay here. It's not a good place to be. So the F was used for yes or no questions. That's all it could answer. First Samuel chapter 30. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. How do you, how do, you do that? Get the joy going. <laughs> then David said, you all know David know how to get the joy going. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him and said, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. That's a little bit more than just seems like a simple yes. But that's what they got out of it. But these things could only answer yes or no. But he did get a word somewhere. Maybe the priest brought it in. But these particular things are used. You have to bring the question. You have to bring the right question in there. You bring the question in, and God would give it an answer for it. Here's the problem a lot of us have, is we don't know how to use the ephod. Because the peace of God in the New Testament is the ephod of the old. Because the ephod was brought in to answer what? Yes or no questions. What's the peace of God do? When was the last time anyone ever called for the priest to bring in the ephod? Well, if God's going to take something away, doesn't he usually replace it? And doesn't God usually replace it with something better? Well, what's better? An ephod that you have to go get the priest to bring out the ephod and, and go through all that? Or is it better just to have one right on the inside of you? Amen. Isn't that better? You have the ability to get the yes or no answer right on the inside of you. Now, First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. If you were here on Wednesday night, we did a whole year on Kings. And so most of you folks that are here had already heard that. We're not going to go through for all the detail, but we just wanted to take a look at this for what we're looking at here today. And Elisha the Tishbite, the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the, Lord came, then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows from the Jordan. And it, shall, it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, that word is not from an ephod, is it? There's no ephod involved. He didn't go get the ephod. He didn't consult the ephod. This is a word that comes from God. This is what most Christians do when we want to be led by God. God, I don't know what to do. Please tell me what to do. And we sit there and we wait for a word from God. And no word from God comes. I don't know what to do. So I pray again. God, please, I, I need to know what to do. Please tell me what to do. Because we want to be like Elijah here. And we want to hear this kind of a word. Get away from here and turn eastward. And hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. That's the kind of word we want. Don't we, don't we want that? Don't we want to wake up in the morning and says, Thou shalt quit thy job. And thou shalt invest and buy this stock. And in two weeks, it will multiply. 
and you will become very rich. And you will not have to be concerned for money ever again. How many want that word? That's a good word. Yeah, you won't get that used in the peace of God. But we want that word and we're waiting for that word to come. Oh, I want that word. I want that word. You know, just tell me what to do. Give me that. Give me, show me the money. Right? That's what we want. God, it would be so much easier. you got so much money. Just, you know, just give me a little bit. Just send a little bit on down here. Now, we got the kids in the service. How many of y'all have your, your children's bulletin? Fill them out. We got some, we got some, uh, some stuff for you. If you fill it out. I didn't get to tell you that before. If you fill it out and get it all done, we got, we got some goodies over here for you. Picked them up over at Wegmans here today. Just for you guys to have. We got to fill them all out. And you're going to give them to Mr. Keith. He's going to, he's going to uh, take care of all that for me. Because last time I tried to do it and I bottlenecked the whole thing. So we're going to do it that way. And he's going to, he's going to take care of that for us. You see what God promised me? He said, I want you to go over to this place and there's going to be a brook there. We're in a drought, but there's a brook there and it's going to have some water. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you. Now, if you were here on the, the King series, you'll, you'll know this. And um, How many remember King Ahab? He's over Israel. He's the reason why they have, one of the main reasons why they have a famine. And one of the many gods that he served, of all the many gods that he served, he served one in particular. And what he would do when he would worship this god was in the morning, he would prepare a big table and he would put a feast out on the table. And the ravens would come and land upon the table and they would take the food away to eat it. But God commanded some of the ravens, don't eat it all of it. I want you to go over here and feed my servant Elijah. And then you can have all you want. And so the ravens would come and get the food and then bring it over to Elijah because you're wondering where did, where did they get people food from? Right? Because most of the food that ravens eat, we have no interest in. But Ahab would set a table out for his God, and God would take the ravens and feed his servant. Now, who was Ahab mad at? He wanted to kill Elijah. He's feeding Elijah by worshiping this false god. I think God just laughs up at heaven, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to have you feed my servant. <laughs> and so he did that for a while. But the, the brook dried up before the food did. Food's still coming. Brook dried up. You need water. Now, how many have ever been in a place where God told you and the brook dried up? Verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. That's not a yes or no answer either, is it? This is some specific direction. I want you to go to a particular land. There is a widow woman there. And I want you to go there. I want you to dwell there. And I have commanded her to feed you. Now, I don't know about you, but in, those, in these days, widows were not considered to be very rich. In fact, generally, they were pretty poor. They didn't really have a whole lot of jobs that they could do. But God commanded them. So what did he do? He got up and went. Put this in your outline for you. God led them to a place with provisions, by, by over, but over time, they dried up. Over time, they dried up. You've been led to a place with provisions, and over time, sometimes they can dry up. We can get a little, a little scared. I've given you this before, but God's provision is not in a place, but in His command. God's provision is not in a place, but in His command. Listen to what He says don't just 
lose yourself in the place. Because, you know, sometimes God has, given, has provided for you very well through a certain vehicle, and then all of a sudden it seems like that vehicle is going away, and you can get nervous. Don't let your faith become in the place. Keep your faith in the God that told you to go to that place. Put this in your outline for you, too. The enemy often distracts us by focusing our attention on the wrong issue. Don't get focused on the wrong thing. But the water dried up. But the food's coming, the water dried up. Why do I have to leave here? I don't want to leave here. I don't want to go there. What about, how can a widow sustain me? You can ask all these questions. Don't, focus, don't lose your attention. Verse 10. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to, to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see... I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, if you, if you are Elijah, you're thinking, you have sent me, great man of faith and power, to this woman who has no more faith to live for another day. Really, this, this is where you bring me? This is the one you're going to use to sustain me? If you're Elijah, how many can get your eyes off of what God said and on to who's in front of you. You're going to sustain me here? She got she had less here than I had back over there. I had more over there than I got here. She's got nothing. And this is where you want me to go? Yep, yep, that's where I want you to go. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, it didn't stop there. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Don't, don't lose sight of this. I've given it to you before. Faith that is not tested is not known. If you wonder why you're going through some tests, it's simple. If your faith is not tested, it's not known. Now, don't mean, I don't mean it's not known by God. I mean it's not known by you. You've got to test it. You've got to see how well it will work. You've got to see what it will carry, what it will do. You've got to test something. How many of you test some things out? I've got a truck out there. I test that truck. I load things into it. Sometimes I load things into it and say, I wonder how well it will handle this. <laughs> we'll know until we, we test it. So we load it up. We test it. We find out how well it's doing. How, how well it's good because it's got to carry that load. Sometimes a good distance. That truck just keeps humming right along. Taking everything I've thrown at it. Glory to God. But you've got to test some things. Now, if I get a truck like that and I don't test it, why do I have a truck? Just go out there and get me a little Prius. You got a Prius? That's fine. A Prius won't help me. I always love to, every time we used to go out and get live Christmas trees, all family, we all go out there. And every time we go out there and we pull one up, you know, you get a different guy who's waiting on it. And uh, we'd pick out this big old, because I like big, big old Christmas tree. And I get that big old Christmas tree. And after he gets done wrapping it up, it says, you can put that in a Prius, right? <laughs> as serious, as serious as I can. I don't crack a smile, nothing. I just have fun with that. You know, it's, it says, after he's uh, said, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we can tie it to the roof or we can do something. I said, no, you don't have to worry about it. I have a truck. <laughs> but I mean, if you're going to have faith, why in the world have it if you're not going to use it? So you may as well get it tested out, see how good it is. Check it out. Faith that is not tested is not known. So she's going to give up something. First, she's going to give up the water. 
No problem. We're in a drought. You want water? Sure, I got water. Because she had more water than she had food. I didn't need the water. How many of y'all know it's real easy to give God something you don't need? It's a piece of cake. I don't need that. God, if you want it, here go. I get credit for giving something to God. This is great. I don't even want the thing. No. You got God doesn't do that. God won't. He will not stop. And that he's going to. We, we got to hit a nerve here. We got to hit something. They got to. They got to feel some pain. Because if we don't test this, it's not going to do anything for us. What she gave up, it wasn't much, but it was all she had. And it was what God asked for. So he said, give me a little water. She goes off to get the water. And on her way, he said, no, hold on a minute. I need more than this water. Give me some food too. Now that pushed it too far. Now she comes back and says, hold on a minute. I'll get you some water, not some food. I need the food, don't need the water. I'm going to die before I use the water. You can have that. Remember what the word of God came to Elijah? For I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. To sustain you. Hmm. I love that word sustain. I told you before we're working on the next series. I'm getting excited about the next series. I haven't even finished this one yet. But I'm already getting excited. I sometimes just have gotten to sit down and just start to write some stuff about it. But that's all what it's centered around is that word sustain. Because there's a whole lot of us Christians out there that are doing things and we don't take into consideration what's it going to take to sustain this. Now, the applications for this are all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. How many want to sustain good health? How many want to sustain a, a living to meet the needs that you have? How many want to sustain what you need to do for the call of God in your life? I'm only hitting a couple of the issues. There's all kinds of stuff. What happens is that a lot of times we don't take into consideration what is needed to sustain a thing. And we get out there and we try and do it and it doesn't work. And we fail. Some of our health is faltering because we haven't understand the, the concept of sustaining. I got into a, a conversation about this a while ago, about the whole sustaining thing. And so when they were asking me some things, I thought this was kind of like a known concept. That you know, it's just one of the kind of things that I just kind of accepted, and well, you know, most people know about this. And this person was completely shocked by the whole concept of sustaining these. So I went back to God. I said, "Well, God, maybe there's something I ought to teach on. I've never taught on sustaining things. Just always just sustain things." So I said, "Well, you have to show me some more things in the Word of God of people who did this." Oh man, the floodgates open. You got to ask the right question. <laughs> And the floodgates opened. I saw people doing things to sustain things that I hadn't even thought of before. And uh, it, it'll help you, but we, we're not there yet. But you'll see some overlap in that with some of the things that we're looking at here. I put this in your outline for you. Giving what you don't think you need or won't be around to use is not faith. It's not faith. You haven't exercised any faith at all. This is given, giving, misspelled that way. This is giving without hope. This is giving without hope. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you give without hope, how do you have faith? You don't. And so you've exercised nothing and you haven't done anything to help sustain it. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Oh, there's that phrase there. Do not fear. Whose, whose choice is it to fear? It is yours. It is your choice to fear. It's not someone else's. It is yours. 
Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. Here's the words you can hang on. The bin of flour shall not be raised, uh, used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. All right. Now, remember our original premise? How far can yes or no get you? All right. Now, we saw that what Elijah had, he had whole words. Not yes or no's. He had whole words. But this woman, first off, we know that she was commanded by God. Commanded by God to feed God's, person, God's man. I'm going to be sending somebody to you. He's my man. I want you to feed him. So the first yes or no question for her is, is this command from God? Right? That's the first thing. Remember back a while ago, we were looking at the source. Only thing you were supposed to check out is, did something come from God? First John, beloved, test the spirits to see whether they are of God, not whether they are true, whether they are of God, because you cannot tell what is true if you don't have the knowledge to base it on. But if you can tell the source, then you know it's true. So first off, this woman had to say, I heard, I heard this command from God, feed the man of God. So she had to determine, first off, is that from God? Mm-hmm. Secondly, Elijah comes to her and he says, Get me some water. Make me a cake. She now has to determine, is this the man of God? What's the answer to that question? Yes or no? Right? It's a yes or no answer. So she just has to basically check in her spirit. Is this the man of God? Now let's go back over to um, verse 12. This is after he asked for the bread. So she said, as the Lord your God lives. How does she know whose God he is? It's his. How does she know that? As the Lord your God lives. How does she know who his God is? There's a whole lot of idolatrous people around. Has he done anything to, a, to help her with that? Now think about this. We're not dealing with... I don't follow these people, but I know that uh, people who follow this sort of stuff know this name. He is not a Cardassian. (laughs) But he is a very well-known figure. Elijah is known throughout this whole region because the entire region is affected by a drought. In fact, where he is told to go is the home of... Of Jezebel. And Ahab sent messages all throughout the region. Is Elijah in your territory? And they would search their territory. And they would come back. And they would say, no he's not. And Jezebel certainly went to her king that ruled in her area. Is Elijah there? What do you need to know if you're looking for Elijah? What he looks like. Now they didn't. Uh, they didn't have uh, you know pictures. And you know, stand a mugshot, get a little mugshot, and pass that around. 
but they could describe him. And apparently he was very easy to describe because there were not too many people like that. You know, long beard, scraggly hair. Uh, clothing was kind of unique, I'm sure. The smell was probably a little bit unique there too. So that when he came in, it looked a little odd. And he was identifiable. She probably figured out eventually who this was. And when she says, Lord, you're God, this is the man I'm supposed to feed. But I don't have anything to feed him. And he gave her the rest of the word that he needed, that she needed. Make me a cake first. Make me a cake first. Now, I've heard this taught many times myself. Uh, I passed it on to you a bunch of times. But how many of you have people in your life who are not as well off as you are? And they come to sow into your life. Yeah, accept it. Don't ever tell them no. Don't ever tell them no. Because if you tell them no, you are cutting off their ability to give to God and to get the provision that they need. Don't ever tell them no. Don't ever feel bad about accepting it. You got, a, you got Elijah here asking a widow woman who's eating her last uh, bread, now make me something first. Make me something first. Can you imagine that's what's today? Here's the prosperity message guy asking a widow woman to feed him before she feeds her and her dying son. Yeah, that would go over real well, wouldn't it? You could see how that would get all over the news. <laughs> They'd have some fun. We'd have some YouTube things all over the place about this. When Jesus was in the temple and he was watching the people put the money in, who did he make note of? The widow woman who put in the two mites. Did Jesus run over to her and says, hold on a minute, hold on. <laughs> you don't need to put that in. Don't, you need that more than the temple does. No, don't put that in at all. You know what? In fact, I'm going to give you some money. Uh, Judas, come on over here. Get some money out of the, the treasury. Let's give her some money. We like to give money to the poor. And we're just going to, does he do that? He stands back there and watches her give all she had. Don't stop people from sowing. Don't refuse to receive that. Elijah did not. Now, what does the woman say that she had? She, she goes through her... I'm sure she had more than that. She probably had a house. You can't eat a house. But she probably had a house. She probably had fields. They weren't bearing anything. Can't eat the fields. But she probably had them. She mentions two things. We have a little flour and a little oil. Those are the things she declared that she had. Those are the things she put into play. What are the things in her life that are increased? The things she declared. The things that she declared that I have. I have. Did she say that? I have only a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. Do not be afraid to declare what it is that you have. Remember in the feeding of the 5,000? What does Jesus ask for? What do you have? And so they declare, well, we got a, you know, <laughs> got a few fish. <laughs> we got a few uh, pieces of bread. But what is that among so many? What does Jesus say? Bring them here. What gets multiplied? What is declared? What is declared? Start declaring the stuff that you got instead of declaring what you don't have. Start talking about what you have got. You want your job to increase? Declare it. Yeah. 
I have got a good job. Instead of, I have got a lousy job and I'm waiting for another one. Declare what you have. Because how many, you can go through more than just these two stories we gave you. There's more times in the Word of God where people declared what they had and it was multiplied. The woman who had a great debt, she declared the debt, didn't she? But what's he, what's he want to know? What do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? I got nothing but a little oil. What increased? What she declared. That's it. That's all she put on the table. Folks, we're not putting anything on the table. <laughs> we're not declaring anything. Start declaring some stuff. Now, each of these ones we talked about, they declared and they put down what it is that they had. What would happen if you declared what you had and you'd build it up? What does Moses declare? All I got is this staff. What did God use? The staff. He did, didn't he? Quite well. <laughs> Quite well. I mean, your, your minds are going. You're thinking about people that are declaring stuff right now. <laughs> yeah. Start declaring some stuff that you got. Let's get back over here. Let's take a look at some others. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, I ask you this question. We've, if you've been here Wednesday nights, I know we covered this. I don't think we've, I don't know if we've covered it on, on the Sunday morning as much, but how was Paul led? And we're going to find out here in verse, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Why were they going to go to Asia? Why were they going to Asia? All right, obviously the Spirit of God forbid them to go, so we know the Spirit of God did not tell them to go to Asia. Why does he go to Asia? Because he wanted to. That's the next place to go. After they had come to Messiah, they tried to go to Bithia, Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So the Spirit of God wasn't leading them to go here either, but they went there. Why? Because they wanted to. But the Spirit of God said, no, don't do it. All right, now one of your kids that's here, I need you to come on up here to the front just for a minute, and you're going to have to make a decision, and I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something, but you cannot eat it right away. You must give it to your parents, and they will give it to you at the right time to eat it. Who wants to come? Man, we got a bunch of them. All right. We, all right, I'll take both of you. I'll, I'll figure out a way to do this. All right, we're going to do you first. Here you go. You can decide. Which would you like? Why? Is the Spirit of God leading you to take these cookies? No. She's, she's good. I'm glad I picked her. <laughs> All right, you get the cookies. You wait right there. We're not, we're not done. Back up. Always be prepared. All right. Which would you like? Why would you like the cookies? Because they're yummy. Very technical term. Everybody got that one okay? They are yummy. Go ahead. Nobody took these. Now, I told you we're giving treats to the kids today for filling out their, their stuff. We're not giving these away because I probably, I didn't think anybody would take them. These are my treat. These are my candy bar. I eat in the morning three, four, five of these for breakfast. I then eat one or two more before a run. And if I'm in the shop at nighttime and I get hungry again, I'll eat another one. I could eat ten. I buy them by the big box and in a week that big box has gone into the next second box. I get them over at Wegmans. Anybody wants them? 
I usually buy two a week. Sometimes I can cut down to one. But there's no preservatives in them. There's nothing artificial in them. They're not juiced up with sugars. There's a lot of good stuff in them. And it's just, it's just, that's just the snack food. That's not my meals. That's just the snack food. I still have to have meals to, um, to sustain <laughs> what I like to do. Obviously, I'm not sustaining too much. So <laughs> we're just, just kind of keeping it even there. But I love these things. If, I, if it was my choice and I had the, the cookie, or the, I'm picking this one. That, that would be my choice. Most of the time. Now, there's sometimes, you know, you might have a bowl of ice cream, some glass of milk. Those cookies sound good. <laughs> but you see, most of the time we make a decision, we won't make the decision based on anything else than that looks good to me. Why did Luke write the Gospel of Luke? Because the Spirit of God came upon him one day and said, Thou shalt write one of the Gospels. <laughs> no. no, he tells it right there in the beginning of the book. It seemed good to me to write these things. Why did he write the book of Acts? It seemed good for him to do it. Why does Silas stay around Paul after he finished his mission instead of going back to Jerusalem? It seemed good. And then eventually Paul picked him to be his partner. How many know that was a good decision? But it's not based on anything else than, well, it seems like a good idea to stay here. You will be led by the Spirit of God just as much by doing what seems good as anything else. Just do what seems good. But then, as you're doing what seems good, you'd say, tied into the peace of God. And as you make that decision, the peace of God would come up and forbid you to go into Asia. No, don't do that. What's it saying? The peace of God is saying, no. No. That's what the peace of God is saying. The peace of God is saying, no. Paul's just saying, I am just not, I'm not feeling it doesn't say the Spirit of God said don't go. It said the Spirit of God forbid him to go, which means the peace of God was not resting in him. I'm not supposed to go that way. I'm tied into the peace of God. It's now nah, we're not supposed to go there. <laughs> but doesn't God want the gospel, the message to go all over the world? He doesn't like the folks over there in Asia. And no, it just wasn't Paul to go. Somebody else is going to go. It's just not Paul's job to go. And then go into this spot. It's just not Paul's job to go. That's all that it was to it. In Acts chapter 27 and verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous. This is when he was on the ship being uh, transferred to, to, uh, to a different court to appear before Caesar. And sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. That's a perception, right? That's not a... Yes or no, he's perceiving something. It's a little bit above that. There is this part. There, is a, there are things that you can perceive. I just don't think I'm supposed to do that. I don't think I'm supposed to go there. Paul advised the men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Is he right? Partially. He is not completely right. He is only partially right, but he doesn't present it as God said. He said, I, ever, I perceive I have a perception about this. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. 
Verse 21, But after a long abstinence from food, the storm's been going on for a while, and Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and encouraged this disaster and loss. How many of you have ever wanted to say, I told you so? <laughs> you have good company. Paul did it. What does he stand up and say? I told you. I told you this is going to happen. You should have listened to me. All right, verse 22. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Remember his perception? He thought some people were going to die. Now the ship's going to go, but people aren't going to die. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve. This is not the peace of God. This is an angel. Saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Why did he grant him all those who sail with him? Because he asked for them. He asked for them. He says, Father God, you told me I was supposed to appear before kings. I'm on my way to a king right now, and I need to get there. But on my way, I know that I will get there. But on my way, I ask also for the men that are with me, that they also would be preserved. And the angel was sent and said, All right, we're going to give you what you asked for. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. And the, the, uh, how they were to do this was given out to, to Paul. That's not a, a peace of God thing, yes or no. That's God coming down and speaking something to him. But before that, we had a perception. And before that, we saw the yes or no. There are other ways that God can, can lead you and other things that God will do. But how far can you get on a yes and a no? Should I make this investment? Should I trust this person with these things? Should I go into this place and do this? Should I take that job? Should I buy that car? Anybody ever went out and bought a car, bought an appliance, bought something? And inside, I just, I don't feel right about it, but I need a car. This looks like the best deal I can get. Yeah, and we learned, didn't we? Don't, don't, don't bypass the, the peace of God. How was the woman with the issue of blood healed? She, she heard about Jesus, right? When she heard about Jesus, she heard about the things being said. She's heard a lot of things that will heal her, and none of them worked. But then she heard about Jesus. What did she have to decide? Is this good for me? Will this benefit me? Is this of God? Questions like that. And she came back with a, yes. Shall I go to him and touch the hem of his garment? She came back with a, yes. Because she's saying to herself, if I go and touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. She got healed basically on yes and no's. Healed of a situation that had bothered her for 12 years. Happened the lame man to the pool of Bethesda. His was even longer. Long time. And Jesus comes right up to him. What's he say to him? Do you want to be healed? Well, sir, <laughs> I want to be healed. But you know, other people, they're faster than I am. And they get in the water before I do. But he's still coming. He's still showing up. So Jesus says to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. At that moment, he has a decision. What's the decision? Is this command going to help me? Is this command from God? 
And he decided what? He decided yes. And what did he do? Got up, took up his bed, and walked. He could have said, but I can't do that. But that's why I'm here. Could have done all kinds of things. He didn't do it. How about the disciples feeding of the 5,000? They bring, Jesus says to them, you feed them. What do they say? <laughs> we can't do that. We, <laughs> we, have no way to, we have no way to do it. They're not responding so well, are they? What's the peace of God doing with them on the inside? They're not even, apparently not even consulting it. What they should be doing is consulting the peace of God. Peace of God, what's it saying? He says, feed them ourselves. What's it say? It says we should do it. It says yes. But I don't know how we're supposed to do it. I don't know how we're supposed to do it. That's not the, that's not the role of the peace of God. Peace of God is not there to inform you how to do it. Peace of God is to tell you, is it good? Is it bad? Is it helpful? Is it not? Is it God? Is it not? That's all. You make the decisions from there. They should have just said, guys, Jesus said we can feed them. Let's feed them. But they didn't do it. Jesus says, what do you got? We got this, but what's that among so many? He says, tell the people to sit down. Well, that one they listened to. And they had upside down. But they didn't quite get through that so much. Now, here's what you need to do. Ask your faith-filled questions. And you tune into the peace of God. You've got to have faith-filled questions, not whiny questions. You've got to get rid of the whiny Christian questions. Here's a whiny Christian question. Why does it have to hurt so bad? Why am I always so sad? How come this hasn't changed yet? How long is it going to be until you answer my prayer? We can go on, can't we? They're whiny questions. God has no interest in whiny questions and neither do you. Because when you ask whiny questions, what happens? Granddaughter's heading to whiny stage. Yeah. And so we're, we're standing behind the parents. No, no wine here. Wine-free zone. But y'all know we all went through the whiny, the whiny stage ourselves and we've seen others that are going through the whiny stage and it just takes us a little while to get out of that whiny stage. Thank God most people got out of it. But not all of them did. How many of y'all know people right now did not get out of the whiny stage? They are still there. Yeah, get out of the whiny stage. Stop whining to God. You don't need to sit there and whine. Faith-filled questions. Ask that of the peace of God. The peace of God is going to come up and what's the peace of God going to do? Yes. No. Yes. Or no. I was out running yesterday. Came upon someone I did not expect. Trevane was running out there on the 202 bypass. We did not run into each other, but <laughs> we were, we were talk, talking. He's, he's getting ready to go into the Marine Corps service. Very cool. I've heard people in the service areas listening to the Spirit of God. And the commander says, we need to go over to this ridge and we need to do thus and thus. Spirit came up inside these people that are underneath the command of these others. <coughs> and they said, my spirit is telling me we shouldn't go. How do you think that would go over? Well, you see, this particular story was told about a person who ordered his life in a very, very good way so that the people that were around him could see 
how much the peace of God, how much the voice of God had ministered in his life and steered him around different problems. And when he spoke that up, the commander listened. And he said, all right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send a small group. We're going to spy out that area and see what's going on. So instead of doing the mission they had, they sent out a small group. The small group came back and said, it's exactly the way he said. And their entire battalion was spared because this man listened to God. There's just a piece of God. I just don't feel right. I feel like if we go up there, it's going to be a problem. Why? Because the peace of God left when he envisioned himself going up there. So what kind of questions would he ask? Father God, should we go up there and take that ridge? Should we go up there and do what we have planned to do? The Spirit of God would come back and say, through the peace of God, no. And he was able to pass that on. Is there a disruption of the peace of God in you? That's what you're looking for. You've got to get so tied into the peace of God. It's there all the time. It's there all the time. It needs to be there all the time. The joy of the Lord needs to be there all the time. The peace of God needs to be there all the time. You tap into that peace. And as soon as you are making the most obvious decision that's in front of you, and the peace of God goes off and says, warning, warning. And you begin to consult. Should I go up and do this? And the peace of God come back and says, no. And we immediately listen. Because there's a disruption in the peace of God. Once we pick up that disruption, we need to obey with action. You need to have an action of obedience. Do something of obedience. Now, if that particular person, he's under the command of this person. And if he had that peace disrupted, and he went to his commander and says, I don't think we should go. Soldier, get in line. We are going. I don't care what it is that you feel. This is what we're supposed to do. Well, he would be in the same position as Paul was. He was being put on the boat. And the peace of God was telling him, "Mm -mm." what did God do for him? Well, they went through some trouble, but he was spared. It can be the same thing there. But you've got to have some action. Don't just sit back on it. Have some action. No hesitation. Question? Pick up a disruption? Follow with some action. Not hesitation. You don't want hesitation, you want action. You get out there and you do it. The more that you tune yourself into this, into the peace of God, and when that peace has a disruption, you change the course of action that you're going to go on. You go after something else. In fact, you can even do no action. You're ready to do an action. Just pull back and say, I'm not going to do any action. I was getting ready to buy a car. I had a car in mind. The peace of God is, un- is unsettled. I'm not going to buy that car. But I need that car. You'll have this. I need that car. That was a good car. That's a great buy. I like that car. Sometimes it's hard to pull yourself back. Follow the peace of God. You're in, you're in training. God's getting you ready. You do that. You listen there. Now you can avoid something that's going to take your life. And do something far more uh, hurtful than just have the wrong car. The peace of God. This is what it's here for. This is what it's here to do. It is here to help you. Let it. Let it help you. Tie into the peace of God. Get Get wrapped up in that. Father God, I want that peace. That peace is there to stabilize me. That peace is there to lead me. It's going to tell me yes. It's going to tell me no. On a regular basis, it will tell me yes. It will tell me no. You have the Old Testament ephod of God right in you. It's right there. Are you using it? Is it helping you? 
Let it guide you. Let it direct you. Let it tell you where to go, where not to go. What to take, what not to take. Oh, it's a, it's a great source. It's a great help. And you can go pretty far on nothing more than a yes or a no. Your flesh is going to tell you yes or no too. You've got to discern the difference between your flesh yes or no and the peace of God yes or no. You learn that difference. You tap into the right yes or no. Boy, you can go far. And once you start learning the voice of God this way, the Spirit of God can begin to speak to you even more. You'll begin to get perceptions about things. That's a little bit more than just a yes or no. You might even get to the spot where God comes and speaks a word to you, just like Elijah. Go, to, go by the brook here. I'm going to provide for you there. Go over here to Zarephath. I've got a widow there. She's going to take care of you. Give you a word like that. But it doesn't come by accident. It comes on purpose. Would you all stand up with me? <coughs> Father, we thank you for the peace of God that's on the inside of us. The peace of God rules us. It umpires our life. It determines whether we should do a thing or whether we should not. Whether we should go in a direction or whether we should not. It can determine so much for us. Many people here, Father, are facing decisions. Sometimes we've been taught by religion that we need to go and pray about it for a day, two days, fast for a week, figure out what that decision ought to be. When all we really need to do is consult the peace of God. Should I do it? Or should I not? We can envision ourselves stepping out and doing the thing or not doing the thing and tie into that peace. Is there a disruption in the peace of God in me? Or is the peace of God get excited? Thank you, Father, for all the help you give us. We lean upon you. We thank you that you have equipped us with joy and with peace. We give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, some of you folks are facing decisions here today. You're facing things you need to do. Maybe you've been praying about it for a while. Quit praying about it. Seek the peace of God. You can get an immediate answer on what you need to do. As you do that, spend some time this week and you get some answers. We have our prayer reports. Make sure you write them down. You don't have to write down all the things about the decision unless you want to. But you can just write it down and say, hey, I had a decision to make. The peace of God guided me in the right place to go. And I went there. Just listen to him. You have some praise reports? Does anybody else have any praise reports before we start? I have a few here. Um, This is from Ray. (coughs) He said, this uh, has been a blessed week. We received a check and overpayment on a loan that we have paid off. Praise God for that. He says, the gifts for the family that we are sponsoring um, all have arrived. And if you remember this Friday, actually this Saturday night is our family fun night, family game night. Um, we were told one would not arrive until Monday, but they all have arrived. He said he also got an acknowledgement from his boss. Boy, this has been a great week. Um, he said prior to Thanksgiving, he said, I finally got the kitchen cleaned and all the clutter. How many of you know when you've accomplished family things and things around the house, it's awesome. Just praise God for that. So awesome. Um, Susan says she's praising God that an insurance problem was uh, favorably resolved. Amen. 
And Marguerite, I thank God for finding my dad in good health on his 84th birthday. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Um, any others? All right, we just have two announcements um, regarding this upcoming Saturday. Actually, I'd like to share a praise report about that. Allie and Nikolai, when they went out shopping, were blessed and blessed and blessed between the sales that they found and then once they got to the register, being blessed by the cashiers there for extra coupons off, extra percentage off. So God took the money that was sown and multiplied it. Amen. So these kids are going to be really blessed. Um, uh, a couple announcements with, uh, from Allie regarding that. If anyone still has gifts to bring in, you need to speak with her today about that. And also, if you volunteered to help at that at the game night, please speak with her before you leave today. Okay? Um, it's very important. All right. Don't forget about the game night. You may say, well, I don't really feel like playing games. It's not about you. <laughs> we want this church family to interact with the families that are coming in. We want them to feel the love that you all have for each other and the love that you express for them. That they would want to come back, bring their family, minister, get ministered to. That's the goal. If you're not here, you can help us in that. So come on out. Be part of the games. Be a part of interacting with the folks that are here. Shower them with love. It's all very important to do. Let's all stand up. Father, we just pray right now for this game night. We pray, Father, for the people that are coming. That we're able to minister the love of God to them. And they see the presence of your spirit here. They feel a difference just being in this place. Father, we thank you that they will feel the love of God from us. We look forward to meeting them, sharing with them, helping them. Father, I pray also for the people that those here are inviting out Saturday night, not a part of the gift exchange, but just going out and finding people in their neighborhood, finding people where they work, and inviting them to come on out to the game night. That those invitations would prosper, and Father, people would receive them. We would see many people here on Saturday night. Thank you, Father, for it. We give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. It's Saturday night? Yeah, Saturday night, 6.30. I always said Friday. just want to make sure I had it, didn't have it, have it wrong. <laughs> Saturday night, 6.30. Uh, come on out a little bit early. Make sure you invite some people. Find some people. Invite them on out. Wednesday night, we're going to be taking up the midweek service series on Colossians. That will go on. And um, we do have a baby dedication we're going to be doing on the 11th, it looks like now. So we had a couple of classes after the class for that one. It just it, it got moved because some of the family wasn't able to make it on the day that they originally intended. So that's the one that got moved to. So we have a couple of classes on the 11th. We'll have to move those for the end times class. About all I can think of doing is moving it a week earlier because moving it a week later, it's getting a little too, too, too close for Christmas. So all you folks that are involved in the end times class, if you have my cell phone, then text me whether you're going to make it on the it'll be next Sunday and I'll get everything ready. If you want, you can also talk to me out the door. But let me know as soon as you can so I can make plans for this. Because what we'll be starting this time is the, the uh, first one in the Gospels and the teachings that Jesus has on the end times. So uh, we can't do it on the 11th, but we can do it um, next Sunday if uh, that works out for, for you folks. So let me know about that if you uh, want to 
plan on being a part of, of that part. If not, then we'll just do the finance class uh, next week. Have a great rest of the week. Bless some people before you go. So good having you, Angel. Again, it was great having you here.